Um, this morning we're going to shift our thinking, and we've been we were looking at a series. The past couple of weeks have been one-offs, and for the next few weeks we're shifting our thinking on Sunday mornings to the topic of church eldership. And the reason why we're doing that is because we as a congregation have been given permission to elect some new elders in this church. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to think about what eldership is and what we should be looking for in an elder. And this really has two purposes. The first purpose is that some of you sitting here might have an aspiration to be an elder. And that is a good thing. And so really the next Sundays are just giving you an idea of what's actually involved in being an elder. And the second purpose is for everybody else. Maybe you think, you know, I I have no desire to be an elder, but you will be responsible for nominating someone to be an elder. Uh, And so it's important that you know what an elder is and what they're meant to do so that you have a good idea of who you should be nominating or putting forward to be an elder in our congregation. So to help us, we're going to turn to the Bible, obviously, because that's where we get our information about eldership from. And this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're using one of the pew Bibles, which should be in front of you, hopefully, it's found on page 1192. And we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And next week, I'll be running you through the process for electing elders, just so that you know what that process is as a church. But this morning, we're going to read 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7. So Paul here, it's the Apostle Paul writing this letter, and he's writing to Timothy, who is an elder, uh, and he's writing him, he's he's the, the teaching elder, and he's writing to Timothy, and he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And this morning we're really just going to be focusing our attention on the first verse of this passage. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. So let's pray and then we're going to come this morning to think about the task of an elder. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it gives us instructions for many areas of life, including what it means to be an elder in your church. Father, we pray this morning that as we explore this verse on the task of an elder, that you would teach us this morning and help us to understand exactly what rule entails. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, this is Ravenhill Presbyterian Church. I know you know that. You're here this morning, and of course you know that. Now, you know it's called Ravenhill because it's in the Ravenhill area. You know it's a church because we gather as God's people to worship him. But can I ask you a question? 
Do you know what it means that we are Presbyterian? Maybe you think it means that we have three-point sermons that all begin with P. Maybe you think that it's about a certain way of doing things. Do you know what it means that we are a Presbyterian church? Well, the answer to that question is actually very simple. A Presbyterian church is a church which is governed and ruled and led by a team of elders. That's what it means to be a Presbyterian church. In a Presbyterian church, a team of elders lead the church and guide the church and do a lot of the ministry in the church. So, you see me, I am not the boss of the church. If we were in an Anglican church, then I would be the boss. I would be the rector or the bishop and, and the buck would stop with me and I could set the, what we're going to do and all of that stuff. But we're a Presbyterian church. And it's not like that in a Presbyterian church. In a Presbyterian church, I'm just one of the elders. I am the teaching elder. I'm responsible primarily for teaching the Bible, but I am just one of the elders, one of the leaders, one of the overseers. In fact, you see the word Presbyterian? It actually comes from the Greek word for elder, presbyter. So the Presbyterian church, this congregation and every other church which you see the name Presbyterian on, it is governed and led by a team of elders. And this idea of this team leadership is a completely and utterly biblical idea. In fact, you'll find it all over the New Testament. Acts 14, for example. Have a look at what it says. It's talking about the apostles. It says, Then they returned to Lystra, Iconia, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is a, a biblical idea. Churches are meant to be led and governed by a team, a team of elders. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the word elder, do you know what I think of? I think of old people. Isn't that terrible? I, th I was brought up with the saying, respect your elders. And my mom and dad would tell me that and they'd, they'd point to older people. You need to respect your elder son. Whenever I think of elder, I think of an old person. And, and we're going to be electing elders in this congregation. But what I don't want you to think of is only as elders as being old people. You see, to be an elder, you do not have to be old. Yes, you have to be wise. Yes, you have to be a dedicated follower of Christ. Yes, you have to have a certain character. But you do not need to be old to be an elder. In fact, in the code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, they actually say that whenever you reach 65, you may retire from eldership if you wish and receive the status of elder emeritus. You do not have to be old to be an elder. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a younger member of our congregation, a younger man, a younger woman, and you have this desire to be an elder. There's something within you would like to do this task. 
but you think to yourself, I couldn't do it because I'm too young. Can I just say, please do not let that put you off. Timothy was a young man. In fact, Paul said to him, do not let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but be an example to believers in speech and faith and love and deeds. So you don't need to be old to be an elder. And likewise, congregation, whenever you're thinking of nominating someone, whenever you're thinking of putting someone's name forward to be an elder, please don't think that they need to be old to do this role. That is not the case. I read a a, a wonderful article on eldership this week, and it had a very, very helpful paragraph in it, which I'd like to read to you. It says this, a wise team of elders will discern when they are aging as a council and need to bring on younger men in the safety of an experienced team to begin investing in the next generation of leaders when the older generation is gone. At our last Kirk session meeting, at our last meeting of elders, this, I guess, summarizes the consensus that we had there. We recognize that as a team of elders, many of us are aging, and our desire is to bring in the next generation of elders that we can train them and equip them and encourage them that they can take on the eldership after our older members have gone to be with the Lord. So elder does not mean old. Next week, we'll see the characteristics that an elder does need to have, but being old is not one of them. So you don't need to be old to be an elder. Now, there's something else that we do need to see. You don't need to be old to be an elder, but you do need to have a desire to be one. You cannot be an elder just because we need someone else on the elders team. You shouldn't be an elder just to have the position. You shouldn't become an elder just because you think you've been around church for a long time and now it's your time to be an elder. That's not why you should be an elder. You should be an elder because you have a desire to be one. Look at what Paul says in verse one again. Here is a trustworthy saying. I'm reading from a different passage. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. There should be an aspiration to be an elder. Your heart should be set on it. There should be something within you desires to be one. This morning as you sit here in this place, I wonder do any of you who are not elders have that desire? Are there some of you here this morning who think, yes, I would like to be an elder? If that's you, maybe the Lord is calling you to be one in this church. And like I said, it is easy to have a a good desire for wrong reasons. So you shouldn't desire to be an elder because you want the power. You shouldn't desire to be an elder because you want the position. You shouldn't want to be an elder just so you can put your ideas on the table and get them out there. No, you should desire to be an elder because of the task, because of the job. But Marty, what what is the job? What is the noble task that Paul says to Timothy? What is this noble task? Well, again, the Bible very helpfully gives us an answer. And the answer is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Peter sums up the task of the elders like this. He says this, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock. Do you see it there in the orange? 
This is the task of the elders. As a team of elders, our job is to shepherd God's flock. We are to look after the congregation and we're to look after the church like a shepherd looks after his flock of sheep. Today in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, every Presbyterian Church is registered as a charity. And because of that, we have to file reports to the Charity Commission and elders are trustees of the charity. So there is a charity responsibility as an elder. There are jobs we must do as elders to fulfill the Charity Commission mandate. But that's not our primary job. Our primary job is to look after the flock of God under our care. And I want to suggest this morning that that means there are five essential things that if you're called to be an elder that you must do. Five essential things that elders must do in order to shepherd the flock under their care. The first thing they must do is they must get to know the flock. If you're called to be an elder, you'll be called to get to know the congregation. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I am the good shepherd, said Jesus. And part of being the good shepherd means that I know the sheep and the sheep, they know me. There is a relationship between Jesus and his sheep. And as elders, one of your jobs will be to get to know people. It'll be to get to know people in the congregation, to get to know about their lives, to get to know what's going on in their hearts, to get to know them in a relational way, and also to let them get to know you. To care for the flock, we need to know them. To be an elder is a relational task. It's about helping people, interacting with people. So the first essential of an elder is to know the sheep. Another essential thing then for an elder is to care for the sheep. Earlier on, we sang the 23rd Psalm. And it was brilliant. It was so good to sing it together as God's people. And as you read Psalm 23, and as you hear David talk about the Lord being his shepherd, what you get is the sense that God the shepherd has a real deep care for his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God cares for me so well. I lack nothing, David says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he gives me food to eat. He leads me beside quiet waters. He, he gives me drink, water to drink. He refreshes my soul. He, he cares for me in such a way that I'm refreshed by him. A good shepherd cares for his sheep. And if you're called to be an elder, then what you're called to do as a team is to care for the congregation, to care for them. It might look like visiting those who are sick in our congregation. James says, is anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. So to be an elder, it might look like visiting sick sheep. It might look like giving encouragement and strength to people who are struggling in their faith, the struggling sheep. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Or it might look like organizing practical care for people. You know, as elders, we, we can't do it all. 
We don't have all the skills we need to help everyone with all of their problems. We just don't. We're not superhuman. And so it's one of the things that you might be called to do as an elder is to find out about someone's problem or to find out what help someone needs and then help to arrange that care for them. It happens in Acts 6, doesn't it? You have the apostles and, and they find out that the widows are not being looked after. And so what do they do? They, they set aside men who go and care for the widows. But to be an elder is a calling to care for the congregation, to care for their mental and spiritual and physical needs as best they can. The third thing then they're called to do, they're called to protect the sheep. That's what shepherds did in the ancient world. At nighttime when the sheep were sleeping, the shepherds were awake and they were keeping watch, looking out for wolves or bears or lions. They were keeping watch in order to protect the sheep from harm. And in the book of Acts, uh, Paul, he, he's speaking, he's giving a speech to Ephesian elders and, and look at what he says there. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Do you see what Paul says the elders are to do? They are to guard the flock, protect the flock. If you're an elder, your job will be to protect the congregation from hearing false teaching. It will be to make sure that what I'm teaching is from the Bible. It will be to challenge me or question me or help me if I'm getting it wrong. Your job as an elder is to, to guard the truth and to protect the flock from hearing false teaching. Another way we protect the flock is that if we see sheep wandering off, then we have to go after them and try to bring them back to the Lord. That's the way elders are to protect, protect the flock. Do you remember the, the story of the good shepherd? You know, one of the sheep was gone and he left the 99 and went after the one. That's what we as elders are to do to protect the flock to go after those who are straying. Sometimes as elders, we might have to do something which no one wants to do and is really difficult, which is to confront sin. If someone in the congregation is, is, is sinning in such a way that's bringing shame on Jesus Christ, then it's, it's a public thing. We need to protect them from walking off on that in unrepentance and help them to repent. And another way that we have to protect the flock is by reconciling fighting sheep. Sheep are really good at scattering. <laughs> they're really good at dividing and splitting. They're herd animals, but if there's a rift or a problem, they, they scatter and they split. And as elders, we're called to reconcile fighting sheep. This is all part of protecting the sheep. A fourth then thing that if you're called to be an elder, you're called to do is to lead the sheep. It's very much a leadership role. We saw that in Psalm 23. He leads me, he leads me, he, he guides me. The shepherd leads and guides the sheep. 
And one of the things that if you're called to be an elder, one of the things that you will have to do is you'll have to contribute to the overall leadership of the church. To be part of the elders meeting, to to set the direction of the church, to decide what's important, to set goals and priorities, to lead the congregation forward. That will be one of your jobs as an elder. And it's not just leading the the congregation forward into areas like outreach and and making policy decisions. It's more than that. As elders, we need to think how we can lead the sheep to become mature believers. So the role of an elder, it's one of leadership and guidance. And the fifth essential thing for an elder to do is to pray for the sheep. In Acts chapter 6, We see it there. The apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. Elders cannot do it all. I, as your minister, cannot do it all. I'm not aware of all of your problems. And even if I was, I cannot help you with some of them. But God can And so as elders, one of the things that, one of the main things, maybe even the main thing that you will be called to do is to pray for the congregation and to ask for God's help for them, to ask for God to lead them and guide them, for God to be the ultimate shepherd to them. To serve the Lord as an elder, I'm finding out, is one of the greatest privileges in the world. It really is. I I am loving being the minister here. I'm loving being one of the elders here. It is one of the greatest privileges in the world. It's not a task for the faint-hearted. It's not an easy task at times. Sometimes it's a completely thankless task. But it is an absolute privilege. And this morning, all I want to say is that if you're sitting here listening to this sermon and you find your heart welling up, you find your heart becoming excited about the thought of being an elder, then can I ask you to seriously consider whether the Lord might be calling you to that task in this place. We're going to pray now. Um, and we're, we're not going to pray actually in light of the sermon, but we're going to pray for some church family news and in light of that. Um, yesterday I received some sad news, and that sad news is that the Reverend Trevor Anderson has passed away. Trevor has been a member of for many years, and he's been left his wife Dorothy and also his son Nigel and his daughter Karis and also Luca who's in our BB. And so we're going to pray for that family this morning and that sad news. But this morning we've also had, well, not this morning, but this week we've also had some very, very joyous and happy news as a congregation. Uh, Mark and Joy up there got engaged. Congratulations. We're delighted for you. Woo! And also down here you will see a brand new member to the Ravenhill family. Little Avea was born last Sunday morning to Johnny and Annika, and so she's a week old and in church. That's a great start. Full 100% attendance so far. That's brilliant, and we're, we're delighted. Um, so let's take a few moments, and we'll pray for the Anderson family, and we'll pray for Mark and Joy, and we'll pray for Johnny and Annika and Finn and Eva. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we gather here as a family 
those who are your children. And Lord, just like any family, we weep when members of our family weep, and we rejoice when members of our family rejoice. And so, Father, we want to pray for those who are sad and weeping this morning. We want to pray for the family of Trevor Anderson, especially for Dorothy, his wife, and for Nigel, his son, and for Karis, his daughter. Father, as they grieve, would you be the good shepherd to them? Would you comfort them? Would you strengthen them? Would you refresh them? Would you make your presence very real to them in this time? And may they know your love and your care. Father, we thank you too for the the good news that we've heard this week. Father, we thank you for Mark and Joy getting engaged. And Father, we would just pray for them in the excitement of that, that their love for one another would grow and develop and flourish. Father, as they make plans for their wedding day, may everything come together well. And Father, we do pray that whenever they tie the knot, that you would lead them into a life of fruitful and faithful servants to you. Father, this morning we're also so delighted to welcome Avea into our congregation. Father, we thank you for Johnny and for Annika. And Lord, we just pray for them in these coming weeks as they adjust to being a family of four. Father, give them all the guidance and wisdom and help that they need. Father, for baby Avea, we pray for her health, that she would be well over these coming weeks. And Lord, we pray that in the midst of it all, that she would sleep well so that this family can also enjoy rest in the busyness of it. Father, we thank you too for Finn, and Lord, we pray for him too, that he would adjust to having a new sister in the house. Father, thank you that we belong to Ravenhill Presbyterian Church. Lord, although this is a a Presbyterian church, this is also just one big family. And so unite us together as a family. Help us, Lord, to love each other well, to care for each other well, to encourage each other well. And Lord, give us wisdom and guidance as we go through the process of electing new elders. Lord, thank you for this time together this morning as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.